Welcome to Drop the Subject with Allie Johnson and James Simmons. And I think it goes without saying, we will be doing a little different of a show today. Uh, many of you, I, I'm sure, are aware of what's been going on the past, uh, I would say, probably five or six days at this point, James. Mm-hmm. I think we're at six days now. Yeah. Six days of protests. Many of you probably got alerts on your phone over the weekend about uh, curfews starting at 6 p.m., 8 p.m. And, you know, again, we saw people rushing to the stores, filling their shopping carts, trying to get home as soon as possible, but for a very different reason. And we will talk about that reason a lot on the show today. And, um, you know, obviously, it's been a very, very difficult year. We have seen... Over 350,000 deaths due to coronavirus, 100,000 in the U.S. Um, But black men and women have been dying for a very, very long time. And I've done a lot of reflecting on this. And, you know, James, I know that you are processing this in a very, very different way than I ever could. And um, I just wanted to say, you know, I, I was having a lot of conversations with my wife and with friends and with family about some of the things that have been going on. And one thing that really stood out to me was the thought of what do I have control over, right? Mm -hmm. And and how can I be more active instead of just bowing my head and saying, oh, this is terrible. Um, Well, I have the benefit of a voice and I have the benefit of working for a wonderful radio station that cares about the value of human lives and believes in the ability for a human being to live in this world without being persecuted or killed just for being who they are. So we're going to have some conversations about this stuff, about what we're thinking, what we're feeling. We're going to be talking to people. And there are a lot of complex layers that contribute to this specific issue and just being a citizen of this country. And if those conversations are difficult, I understand. And also... They should be difficult and uncomfortable. And discomfort is is how we learn and how we grow. And I will admit, from my perspective, I'm not always going to say the right thing. And that's also okay. I am here to listen and to learn and to use this time to be better. And I'm very thankful that I get to uh, do that with you, James. Well, thank you, Allie. Um, that means a lot. And I'm really I'm thankful as well to have this opportunity to have a voice and to have this platform, you know, um, not only my own, but here, you know, guest hosting the show with you. And I, I think that you really hit on something that is really important for all of us to remember and to think about through all of this is that, you know, we for a long time, I think even when it comes to uh, how to be an ally to our trans brothers and sisters, for people who are not of color or even of color, but don't know how to be allies specifically in this instance to black folks, mm-hmm. you never know what to say. And so it causes us to not say anything. And I think the important point here is that we we're all moving past that and we have to move past that. And we have to, we have to be able to say, I don't know what to say, but I'm going to try. And uh, I might get this wrong, if I do, let me know. I'm here to learn. Um, and that even even just because you're a person of color or just because you're black doesn't mean you feel one particular way. And just because you're white doesn't mean you, mean you feel always feel one particular way. We just have to be open and honest about these conversations. And, and I think allow each other some space not to just be like, oh, this is crazy, but some space to actually learn and grow 
you know, if, if we are demanding change and we are demanding that, that we move forward as a country and as a society and as a nation specifically around racism towards black individuals, then we, the, the, the conversations are going to be tough and they're going to be icky and we're going to want to run. Um, and that's the exact time when we sort of just need to sit down and hold tight and just continue to be open-minded and listen, um, to each other and, and to learn and to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's it's up to, I mean, all of us to to come together and really get active instead of sitting back. And and I and yes, I just reiterate that. Uh, and, and you and I had some of these conversations off the air as well about, mm. you know, ways to be a better ally and. There is a there is discomfort there where, you know, there's this fear of saying the wrong thing or or offending somebody unintentionally. And, um, you know, a lot of the white people that I spoke to this past weekend uh, expressed that in a way and then sure. also expressed, you know what? It doesn't matter anymore. I almost swore <laughs> it doesn't it <laughs> right. doesn't that, like we have to get beyond that discomfort and that fear because it's not about us. It's about how to use our privilege and to to create a change and be more active in that change and just shut up. Why don't I just put my head down (laughs) and think about really how I can be more active and be held accountable. I think that Mm -hmm. like as a white person, I want to be held accountable, not by uh, the black community because that's not their responsibility. I want, I want to have more conversations with white people about how to be, how to be different and how to be better and how to hold each other accountable uh, moving forward, because there's just something that's shifted. There's something I think because of coronavirus and because of the quarantine, we're all in a very raw place emotionally right now. And then this happening is just, uh, there's a reason why these things are happening so close together. And I, I, I only hope that it will help us really change the circumstances. I, I, I hope it will too. And I, I actually am, am interestingly, cautiously optimistic about this Um, though, you know, Rodney, we can think about all the way back from Emmett Till and the civil rights movement and Rodney King and, you know, Philippe Castillo and Eric Garner five years ago. And now we're still living through the same thing at the end of the day. We're having these conversations. We're moving where we are doing the things we need to do, like you said, Allie, to put our head, heads down and move forward. And we want to do that with you, listeners. This is not just Allie and I talking about things, but this is a conversation with you. And and from whatever points of view you have, we're going to continue to have that conversation. And we're going to continue to talk about this um, because this is what we do. And, and we thank you for listening to Drop the Subject on Channel Q. Drop the Subject, the new Channel Q. Drop the subject with Allie and James Simmons. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here with us. And we are here with you. And we want to speak to you. If you want to reach out to us in any way, please feel free to do that. You can direct message us at DTS Show on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you want to uh, have an on-air conversation, that's absolutely wonderful as well. We want to hear from you and process all of this with you. So direct message us. We can set something up. We'd love to talk to you um, about what's going on. And there's obviously protests have been going on for several days they continue nationwide and throughout the world and some world leaders and former world leaders are making some statements including former president barack obama who released uh, an article where he said some really wonderful things 
and I, I think it's important that we read some of it. He said, the bottom line is this. If we want to bring about real change, then the choice isn't between protests and politics. We have to do both. We have to mobilize to raise awareness, and we have to organize and cast our ballots to make sure that we elect cat candidates who will act on reform. It falls on us, regardless of our race or, na or station, including the majority of men and women in law enforcement who take pride in doing their tough job the right way every day, to work together to create a new normal in which the legacy of bigotry and unequal treatment no longer infects our institutions or our hearts. I think it's pretty stunning too that this is the the best statement uh that we've heard from a, a world leader who is still a world leader though not of an officially elected one right now and in uh, pretty stark contrast to that uh donald trump had a a video teleconference uh just earlier this morning with the nation's governors and he uh very aggressively told the governors to aggressively go after protest um, protesters in their states he said quote you have to dominate or you'll look like a bunch of jerks wow. you have to arrest and try people he also went on to say um he brought he believed that the violence is being brought on by forces from the radical left and said quote it's a movement if you don't put it down, it will get worse and worse. The only time it's successful is when you're weak and most of you are weak. Oh, this is wow. What the leader, Thank you the leader, so much. The yeah. leader of our, uh, the current leader of our nation who doesn't, who has never been a leader. You put that well, James. Like Obama is still a leader, even though he's not an elected leader. This man that we have in office right now is not a leader. And it's also very apparent because one of his last tweets was just saying November 3rd, which is the date of the election. So it's like even like you cannot even bring your people together for one goddamn second. Mm hmm. Nope, not at all. The world was laughing at Minneapolis over the police station getting burned, he said, also on this video teleconference call. This is our leader. This is our leader. And I think it's... it. You know, we, we bring this to you because it is the latest in, in the news that's going on this morning in terms of, you know, what's happening here in the United States. And I think it's pretty striking that that this is the tone and the attitude of our leader right now uh, in the setting of a, a global pandemic that we haven't seen since since in more than 100 years since the Spanish flu in the setting of, of uh, a, a joblessness that we have had that is almost rivaling Great Depression rates and in the setting of protests. Um, that are ever bit it take Rodney King, multiply that by 45 cities here in the United States. And it's not just the United States. There are, you know, there are solidarity marches and protests going on um, all over the world. If you are not aware of this, one of the largest ones actually that we've been able to see is is in New Zealand, which is really pretty striking. You know, can we give out country awards this year? Because I think that New Zealand gets it. I, between like their they are just really bad like good gold star to new zealand because yes. it seems like they're really doing a lot of this stuff right you remember when this this shoot the shooting happened she was like no more assault weapons done banned over done. 
Yeah, <laughs> Jacinda, like, Jacinda Ardern, like, I'm in. I'm in. She can be the new global leader for a little yes, while. Yes, like, yeah, just, like, just head share. I mean, obviously, right, it's difficult to, to, to compare the United States to a country that's small like New Zealand and, and you know, an island, two-island nation and whatever. But, like, at the same time, these swift actions that are done with the actual intent to protect the people of her country and do what's best for her people of country, not motivated by other factors, at least that we can tell, it was has ended up in resulting in no new cases of COVID and her country supporting others and, and being a healthier place it's deemed the best place to live in the world. Like there's a reason for that. Yeah. And, and I think it is very important to point out uh, the UK, Manchester, Cardiff, Wales, New Zealand, a lot of other countries in Italy as well are, are following suit and, and protesting peacefully to, to say, hey, we're not innocent either. This exists all over the world. Of course, it's extremely bad in the United States. But I think it's very important and very useful to have other countries um, you know, marching for this as well and protesting for this as well. And and I just wanted to quickly say, I know we have to go, um, but there's always this, when it comes to somebody like Donald Trump, there's always this, this approach of having to focus on what what protesters are doing wrong. Let's focus on the looters. Let's focus on the violence. Let's focus on that one thing. And this is about so much more than that. And I think you have to go back to the reason that these protests are happening in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Well said, Allie. Uh, all right. We'll be back with more. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about Derek Chauvin's arrest, his wife's divorce, and the Minnesota nice myth. We'll be right back with more on Drop the Subject. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. Drop the Subject with Allie and James Simmons. And of course, we are keeping you updated on the protests, what's going on in Minneapolis and beyond right here on the new Channel Q. And we want to interact with you. We want you to interact with us. Please feel free to do so uh, during the show, after the show, privately, on the airwaves, whatever you're comfortable with at DTS show on Twitter and Instagram, feel free to interact with us. Um, Derek Chauvin, the police officer who, uh, I mean, there are several police officers involved in this, which we will get to, but, uh, there were a lot of, um, posts and initiatives and all kinds of things that I saw over the weekend calling for Derek Chauvin's arrest. He has been arrested and he has been charged with third degree murder. Uh, there's also been a statement made by the police chief, uh, Minneapolis police chief, uh, Madaria Arredondo, I believe. Arredondo, uh-huh. And um, he said, he made a statement saying that all of the police officers who were involved in the arrest and the killing of George Floyd were complicit and that they should bear responsibility for his death. And, and let me just, you know, if for, for those of you who may there and there may there may I don't want to assume that everyone exactly knows what's going on. There were, uh, you know, George Floyd, we talked about this last night, uh, was thought to have used a counterfeit bill in a local uh, uh, like convenience store. And the woman working the counter at the convenience store called the police and said, I think this is another there. There was apparently a string of counterfeit bills being used. And they, she said, I think this guy just used a counterfeit bill. She described the man who used the counterfeit bill. The police came. And after what was not a resisting arrest, so that's what it was called in their report, 
George Floyd was pinned down by police. And at first we thought it was just one police officer who knelt on his on his neck. But there we do now see an additional video footage that there were a total of four officers yeah. all kneeling on George Floyd at one time. And Derek Chauvin, the one who's been arrested, charged with third degree murder and second degree manslaughter, kneeled on George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. You do not need to be a medical professional to know that the full weight of one grown ass adult man using one knee on the neck of another is not sustainable for life and george floyd of course died this was the the igniter for you know literally hundreds of years of oppression of black folks and this is why we are talking about this today this is why this is really important and even in times of we're making so much progress, things are so much better. I think it's important to acknowledge and recognize that being racist doesn't mean you're hanging black people. It doesn't mean you are intentionally not hiring someone or giving them a house because they're black. But there are institutional and there are sort of systemic oppressive things that happen specifically for, for all people of color, but in this instance, specifically for black people. And one of them is this sort of like, white nicism, right? And and Minnesota has a term for it that's very popular. It's called Minnesota nice. And but I I'm from Nebraska and there's there's a Nebraska nice. All these Midwesterners like to have this concept of this nice. But I will say that Minnesota's was the first I'd heard of and seemed to be the most popular and there's it's almost the northern Midwest's version of southern hospitality, if you will. Right. Yes. That's what I think of, too. It's like a yeah. southern hospitality kind of mentality. But it's very selective. It's very conditional. Right. And yes. and I think you make such a great point of supremacy, white supremacy. There, There is... There's a diagram that I, I have to find and I have to tweet it out because it's really fascinating and it's this triangle and there is white supremacy that is not acceptable, which is like KKKs and burning crosses and this and that. And then there's this whole myriad of things under the pyramid that perpetuate white supremacy that are considered still socially acceptable. And one of them is being silent. Yep. Ding, ding, ding. To be like, no, I'm not going to just feel sad and 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 just go about my day and live in my bubble. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the bubble's bursting. The bu- I'm sorry to like we're bursting the bubble. OK, yeah. we can't like the silence now is becoming extremely. I mean, it's not becoming it. It already is not OK. And that's something that needs to change. And and, and I at least hope that the police chief and the governor of Minnesota and the mayor of Minneapolis, I really, I think it's really wonderful to see them speaking out and to say, yeah, yeah, this is something that we, you know, we pledge that we have this wonderful environment and that's one of the best places to live, but it's one of the best places to live if you're white and that needs to change. And I I really uh, give kudos to um, the, the governor of Minnesota who, who is white uh, a cis straight white man uh, who said in his press conferences over the weekend, essentially, uh, first of all, in the press conference where he apologized to CNN for uh, police officers in CNN or in Minnesota, excuse me, arresting a CNN reporter while he was simply reporting on what was going on. But the governor then did say, you know, Minnesota is ranked as one of the best places to live. Their uh, in- incomes are high given their housing prices are low. Cost of living is low. Unemployment is low. 
but that's only if you're white. If you parcel out the numbers by race, it's actually one of the worst places to live for black individuals, including the fact that more than a third of people of blacks in the state of Minnesota live under the poverty range. So oh, uh, I'm glad that the governor called on it himself. And I, I th- I'm glad he's addressing the Minnesota nice. And I, I we will I find that that triangle and send it out to everyone because it is it's things like, oh, I'm just making a joke, but we're just big one human family and how things like that actually perpetuate white supremacy. Right, exactly. All right, more when we come back, you're listening to Drop the Subject. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Ignition. Liftoff of the Falcon 9 and Crew Dragon. Go NASA. Go SpaceX. Godspeed. Bob and Doug. You know, doesn't part of you wish that we were just counting in the new year? <laughs> you mean to 2021, right? Yes. I, I don't want to go backwards. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to do not. 19 to 20 again. I'm, I'm cool. I'm good. Thanks. I think hard, we should just hard get, pass. A, get a yeah, hard pass on the rest of 2020. <laughs> mulligan, mulligan. No, we, we uh, of course, we are going to uh, continue talking about um, all of the things that have been going on the past five, six days in this country. But we also wanted to just take a minute and and kind of celebrate uh, history being made over the weekend with the SpaceX launch. The crew has successfully docked at the International Space Station, and it was kind of a wonderful moment to have something go right in 2020, right? It, it was. And I was sharing, Allie, with you and Jesse off air just just before we came back onto the segment that, that I was really I, I wasn't breathing. We were we were at work and oftentimes at work in the hospital. We have a little TV to the side, especially this weekend, because a lot of some yeah. of the protests we thought were going to come close to the hospital. and We needed to be prepared for that. And so we're sort of prepping for all of this. And of course, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're just trying, like trying to do our jobs. And that's going on in the in the side. And one of my coworkers was actually like, James, breathe, breathe. Because I, I was holding my breath. Yeah. And I, I felt like, honestly, I was holding my breath because I, I was like, we as a global community cannot handle if this space shuttle blows up. Absolutely not. Like, and we, we would yeah. fall apart. It would be like, we can't even have anything. It, it was just like, you know, yep. this, this had to go right. And there was a lot of nerves around it because this is a, a, a spaceship that was built by a private company. And, and designed to be the prototype going forward for right. multiple rapid, quick space trips, including tourist space trips in conjunction with SpaceX and NASA. And so this thing has to go well uh, because this is the model for how we're going to do this, how we're going to get more civilians into space, whether it's just orbiting or to the International Space Station, or if you're Tom Cruise, apparently, who wants to film a movie at the International Space Station. Oh, Lord. Well, you know, can you blame these two guys for wanting to leave Earth for a little while? <laughs> no, they're, they're, they were nice. I mean, talk about like, like going into quarantine or going into like, like, I need a mental health day. I'm right. I, I need a mental break from everything that's going on. I'm just going to go to space. Although, you know, it was <laughs> interesting. Speaking of, they have actually been in quarantine since the first of March. Um, they even, have been. They have been. Yeah, they've been quarantined already. They're going to spend, you know, however much time they're going to spend at the International Space Station. But they are so already away from their families. But now they've been in quarantine because of coronavirus and 
thank God SpaceX and NASA were like, we're not going to be the people that are going to take COVID-19 into space. So they've already been in quarantine. They were, it was the protocols about getting these two individuals to their space shuttle and their transportation over to that. I don't know if you saw last week and then again on Saturday, it was really, really very interesting. And then now these two are going where I think a lot of us wish we could go. Yes, exactly. And um, and I'm very glad that we're not the a-holes that are bringing coronavirus into space or at least to the International Space Station. But I was we were reading about the how fast the International Space Station travels because Mm. you can see it at different points. I guess throughout the night, you could see it. I mean, Pacific time, it was like 915 and 1045. Like that's how quickly it orbits the Earth. And I can't even imagine how difficult it must be to, of course, A, launch yourself into space successfully, but then also to perfectly measure the exact right moment that that space shuttle is going to arrive at the International Space Station. If it's traveling, they say it travels faster than a plane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's crazy fast. And th- you're right. The, it's traveling at a velocity and the rocket's traveling at a velocity and everything's spinning and, and spinning and twirling. <laughs> Very Channel Q. But there. <laughs> um, sorry. Catwalking through space. Catwalking through space. We got to laugh a little bit today. Um, and I just I, I am really glad that this was good news that this happened. It docked um, over kind of the border of China and Mongolia. Uh, and though it took off from Florida and it will continue to orbit and all of our best to Bob and Doug, as you heard in the audio, and the entire crew and everyone involved with that. And we certainly also yes. wish them a safe journey home when it is time. Absolutely. And a successful docking, also very Channel Q. Now, when we come back, we are going to actually talk about some of the more uplifting ways that celebrities and companies have been reacting and pledging their support, launching initiatives, donating an incredible amount of money. Uh, So we're going to talk about some of the things that were said by Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Billie Eilish, Tim Cook, and many, many more when we come back. And Killer Mike, uh, you're listening to Drop the Subject. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. Drop the subject with Allie and James Simmons. And of course, we are covering the protests that have begun since the killing of George Floyd and many of the other protests. I mean, starting in Minneapolis, but they've gone all over the place. And a lot of very notable people have been speaking up. uh, And so we thought we would share some of those words that are being spoken by people like uh, Beyonce and Killer Mike and Billie Eilish had some great things to say, Taylor Swift and uh, a lot of bigger organizations, bigger companies as well, like Apple and Hulu. And um, I I just think it's important for us to point out some of the positive ways that people are speaking up and, um, and where and how you can help. Um, So I thought we would start with, Killer Mike from Run the Jewels, he is obviously um, based in Atlanta, and he was speaking alongside the mayor of Atlanta because they were trying to resolve some of the, or at least, you know, make sure that the protesting that was happening was nonviolent. And I think he said some really powerful things when he was speaking um Mm. he he i i believe knows a lot of people who are in the police force yeah he actually his dad is a police officer and so he spoke about that you know his experience of knowing so many people um, of color that are in the police department and then to have this happen this many years later and what that means take a listen and here we are 80 years later I watched a white officer assassinate a black man, and I know that tore your heart out. 
and I know it's crippling. And I have nothing positive to say in this moment because I don't want to be here. But I'm responsible to be here because it wasn't just Dr. King and people dressed nicely who marched and protested to progress this city and so many other cities. It was people like my grandmother, people like my aunts and uncles who were members of SCLC and NAACP, and in particular, Reverend James Orange, Mrs. Alice Johnson, and Reverend Love, who we just lost last year. So I'm duty bound to be here to simply say that it is your duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. And so this this goes on for some time, but I think um, obviously very powerful words and very tricky. I mean, people have a lot of hurt and a lot of anger, and I think... You know, one of the things that is not necessarily conducive is to victim blame. And I do view mm-hmm. these protesters as victims. I do. And I think it's really important to, you know, there, there's a couple of issues going on here. You know, it's people right away go towards like, don't burn anything down. Don't mm-hmm. be don't cause destruction in these protests. And I think what the more important discussion is, is that these are human beings who are thinkers and who are emotional. And when you push someone to a point where they have no other recourse, they're going to burn stuff down. And that's that's the key. The yes, yes. A lot of the people who are doing the vandalizing and the looting are not the protesters. And I think it's also too important to acknowledge that I don't think the media is doing enough to cover the majority of protesting that is happening, the, the vast majority of protesting that is happening, that is peaceful um, yeah. and that is not causing people to get harmed. And and all of those things are really wonderful and great. And the problem is we're not seeing enough of that because even local coverage here will show, oh, they look at all of these. There's thousands of peaceful protesters. And then they sco- scooch over to, you know, another helicopter camera and they're like, here's 50 people looting a target. However, it's, it is important to remember that those 50 people looting a target are there. There is reason behind that. And there is emotion behind that. And there is 400 years of oppression behind that. And, and you know, you when you get idiots like Logan Paul, who is a privileged white YouTuber with lots of money looting, that's categorically different than individuals who are out here trying to make a change and trying to make a stand. And, you know, I, I, I also am... I like it when corporations say these things. You know, we uh, Apple CEO Tim, Tim Cook, Tim Apple, as Trump calls Tim him. Apple. What did Tim Apple have to say? Tim, Tim Apple. I mean, he has sent a very, very long statement to um, employees of Apple. He, he wrapped it all up with, with every breath we take, we must commit to being that change and to creating a better, more just world for everyone. And while a lot of people will initially say, that's great. What are you doing with your money? And we need to have that conversation. I also think things like this will give us an opportunity to then hold these corporations and individuals accountable. So you, if you're going to say this, then we get, have an opportunity to hold you accountable for that. So yes, the very next question should be, that's great. uh, One of the richest companies in the country, where's the money to make the change, but putting those words out publicly gives us that leverage that we need in future conversations to say, you said you were going to do this and you're not doing it. And and you are a consumer product good that people like us are buying. And so we get to hold you accountable for that. Right. And I think that's what's important about Tim Cook making his email public 
and people like that making their statements public because then there is a level of accountability that's attached to it. It's not just this private secretive like, hey guys, here's how we're dealing with this or just simply burying your head in the sand. You're saying something and you're making sure you're sending something to all of your employees and you're making sure everybody else in the country and in the world hears those words. Yeah, there were, you know, other companies too uh, hearing, sending out words for people to hear as well. Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, HBO, Stars, Fox, uh, like Fox Entertainment, not Fox News, BET, of course, Lionsgate, A24, Viacom, all of these individuals used their social media to put out messages of support. Um, and even Netflix, you know, led by Ava DuVernay said, to be silent is to be complicit. Black Lives Matter. We have a platform and we have a duty to our black members, employees, creators, and talent to speak up. Then they also announced that there are organizations that they're donating to. So um, we, we need this. Ultimately, we need this money and this power because the corporate people have the money and the power and we're going to need them to make real change. Exactly. When we come back, more of what some people are saying, uh, we're going to share some of Beyonce's words with you and Billie Eilish, um, Taylor Swift, and many more, and also how you can help personally. I know it might feel uh, sometimes like these situations are helpless, but there are many different ways to um, to get educated, to learn, to donate. Anyway, there's a lot of different ways to to be a part of this change. So we'll talk about that when we get back. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. We need justice for George Floyd. We all witnessed his murder in broad daylight. We're broken and we're disgusted. We cannot normalize this pain. And I'm not only speaking to people of color. If you're white, black, brown, or anything in between, I'm sure you feel hopeless by the racism going on in America right now. No more senseless killings of human beings. No more seeing people of color as less than human. We can no longer look away. George is all of our family in humanity. He's our family because he's a fellow American. There have been too many times that we've seen these violent killings and no consequences. Yes, someone's been charged, but justice is far from being achieved. This is just um, one of many statements that have been made, and I think Beyonce's words always um, carry so much weight. I just think she's so incredible especially in times like this and on her instagram there is a a link in bio where you can click it's beyonce.com slash to seek justice for george floyd and there are a lot of ways you can do that she has links to change.org to sign a petition color of change is another petition that i went to yesterday we can't breathe is another clickable link here and the naacp and you can also text floyd to 55156 to sign the petition so there's a lot of ways to sign the petition and put pressure um on the on the government to hold people accountable in these situations there there are and i you know there's this really great article with here and mashable god bless them uh you know said okay you we're telling everyone to help you can't just say things you can't just repost things on social media but you have to help and so what how do you do that and they give sort of three very clear ways to help um i'm going to reverse the order of what they did though they they went one two and then three was consider showing up for a local protest or demonstration and you know, I, I will tell you, being the child of parents who who were an interracial couple dating in the 60s and had to protest, I learned specifically from them. I learned specifically protesting LGBTQ rights in a state like Nebraska and Iowa that that representation matters. Numbers matter. And protests of 
20, 30 people don't get the attention that two or 3,000 people do. And I, I, yes, there's a, there's a measure of danger that happens when you protest, but if you believe in this, that is a measure that you're willing to take. And these protests are by far and large peaceful, but I think that one of the first ways, if you don't have know anything else to do, you know, I urge people not to stay out after curfew, not because I'm all for like not breaking the law, but because that's when things get dangerous. So, mm-hmm. so please know the curfew times in your in your cities, but just go. You don't have to go all day. Go for an hour. See what it's like. See what people are saying. See the hurt in people's eyes. If you really want to be a part of the change, be a part of the numbers that are going to get the right attention towards the peaceful protests. Yeah, no, that's very well said, because I think that there's a lot of uh, if, if you're not from if you've never protested before, um, it can be a little scary to it's think scary. about going out to going yeah. out there and like, OK, well, what do I do? Do I make a sign? What does my sign say? Where do I go? Is it going to be safe? And, and you and because of the way the media portrays this, because you see on TV the looting and the fires and the, the fireworks and all those things, you, you get scared and you get freaked out. And um, I think once you go and you realize what it's really like, some of that will dissipate over time. And also, it's okay if it doesn't dissipate and it's okay to do something you're afraid of doing because, again, it's not about you. Yeah, right. And... You know, the, the, the other thing I will say for some people, that's just not accessible for them, yeah. right? To, to yeah. go, whether it is kids, work, uh, a different ability, like whatever, you're, we, we still have a global viral respiratory pandemic going on, by the way. So like all of those things, and we're going to talk about that later in the show about if you do protest, how to stay safe um, and what we think those numbers are, are going to do to COVID-19. But you can also donate to local organizations. And I, I, I think this is really tremendously important. Um, there are organizations that have... that are national organizations that have local chapters and they can use your local donations. There are also local organizations that are very much in touch with local politicians and understand the nuances of your community. Communities are so individualized um, that oftentimes, you know, there's an organization here in Los Angeles called Justice for LA or there's Black Lives uh, Movement LA that, that know the relationship with the LAPD, know the relationships with the local communities and those organizations need money as well and it doesn't always funnel down from larger national organizations into these local organizations like we think it should. So if there's a local organization that you do a little bit of research on and that you like, you know, pull out that checkbook, pull out that pocketbook if you can't go to protests. Yeah. And if you can make a donation. And then there's also um, another fund that I just wanted to share the uh, the Minnesota Freedom Front Fund, and if you feel comfortable, it's it's a group that's providing jail bonds to some of the protesters who have been arrested in Minneapolis. And so the fund, uh, there are a lot of public figures that are matching these donations. I know Janelle Monae did did that, Seth Rogen. So um, if you maybe if you were to donate there and then post it, uh, there are a lot of people out there that are matching those donations to get these people um, out of jail. Um, and I know we have to go again, but there's a lot more to cover here. <laughs> Drop the subject. And, um, and thank you for being with us. We're happy to be here with you. We'll be right back. 
Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. All right, drop the subject with Allie and James Simmons and covering all of the events over the past uh, few days in regard to George Floyd, the protests, the riots, and and all of the things and all of the conversations that come with that. So much to talk about. And just to update you quickly, uh, Facebook employees have planned a virtual walkout over the inaction on Donald Trump's recent posts. There is a, a funeral that has been scheduled for George Floyd that I believe is scheduled to take place on Thursday. Yeah, it looks like right now the they're scheduled it for uh, Thursday in Minneapolis. There are uh, not as many details coming out right now. There may also be a funeral, different uh, ceremonies for those, uh, like for community members, as well as then those for George Floyd's uh, close friends and family. Yes, and we have a lot of other things to cover. Um, later in the show, we're going to cover how to... Um, how to protest safely, especially in the midst of COVID-19. And we're also going to be talking to Dr. Errol Southers from USC about police reform and ways to safely mobilize um, while keeping the community safe. So uh, stay tuned for that. But of course, uh, we wanted to take a little bit of a breather and just go over some th- some fun news. It's some good news it or lose it. I'm going to go to good news it or lose it. You, you got it. We can, take okay. a, we can take a breather. We can do a little good news breather. Okay. I like it. Here's your first headline, James. Monday Munch Report related, but good news. People are eating healthier and wasting a lot less food during COVID-19. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I got Losing a bad dinger today. No, I got a bad <laughs> news. Oh. Headline number two. Should my dog be sleeping in the bed with me? That is uh, another debate. Very controversial. News. Uh huh. And then headline number three there's a hot new trend making the rounds. It's axe throwing. <laughs> I've done this. It's super fun. Uh-huh. I don't recommend it now in the middle of protests, so I'm going to lose it. Yes, absolutely. All right. Let's get into it. A coronavirus cooking survey. A coronavirus cooking survey has been done amid lockdowns. Everyone has been eating healthier. They have been cooking their own food, consuming more fruits and vegetables. And according to some preliminary results to a worldwide corona cooking survey, they have found that people are wasting less food. Um, Yeah, they're revealing that more people are relying less on lean cuisines and stofers. The act of cooking in their kitchen has become more of a habit as workers are banished from their office buildings. And um, the consumption of salty, fat, and sweet products usually goes up when people are under stress. But during the pandemic, this heightened craving has been fulfilled in many countries with home-baked delicacies. How about that? Well, it's right, because you, you use a lot of times you use all that stuff that's in the back of your cupboard, and you're like, oh, this is this flower I haven't touched in 10 years, or all these things. I'm going to bring them together and make a home-baked delicacy. Yeah, and I'm really glad to see that less food is being wasted, because I, I know for me, definitely, I've been like, no, I have to use... I mean, going to the grocery store is something that takes a lot of effort, and there are limited supplies. There's a lot of demand for groceries right now, and so think when you open that crisper, you're like, nope, I cannot waste this. So it's nice that that's having a positive effect. The po- most um, positive thing about that story is you, that you use the word CRISPR, Allie. Mm, I love a good CRISPR. A CRISPR. Um, let's talk about dogs sleeping in the bed. 
Um, there is question and debate going on about whether having a, the dog sleep with you in the bed is a good policy or a bad policy. And I don't know, you have a dog. Do you allow your dog to sleep in bed with you? We do not. This was rule number one about getting a dog from my husband before we got said dog. He was like, I get what we want. We can do whatever. But the dog is only allowed on one piece of furniture and it is not the bed ever. What piece of furniture is it? The couch? So we have, yep, we have a cover on one couch and the dog is only allowed on that couch only when we are on the couch with him. And he knows that. We've trained him that way. Oh, that's good. He's very, very sad. He often will come into the bedroom and look at us in the bed and want to get in and he won't. He doesn't get in. Yeah, that's that's a really hard. When I was dog, when I was a dog walker slash house sitter, there would always be owners who were like, "Yeah, they know. They definitely know they're not allowed on the bed." And then as soon as they leave, the dog's like all over the bed, all over the damn place because they're just like, "No, no rules, substitute no teacher." Rules. Right, exactly. Um, so there is a British veterinarian who comments in this article on Mike.com, and he says it depends on the situation in regards to whether or not it's healthy to let your dog sleep in bed with you. Dogs in the bed have been proven to strengthen your bond and help induce relaxation and decrease anxiety. Closeness to a dog um, helps to reduce blood pressure, can relieve stress and lower anxiety or, uh, or depression. But mo- and most dogs who sleep with their owners are more loyal and more bonded to the person that they sleep with. But of course, it can screw up the dog parent dynamic and make them think like I kind of run the house. Yes, I'm an equal member of the family and that I my what I want is as important as what my humans want. And that is often very important to convey to dogs that they are at the end of the day, as much as we love them, they're still dogs. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So that has been your news it or lose it. Uh, Nice to take a little break and talk about little puppies in the Betty boys. Uh, More drop the subject on the way. Drop the subject. The new channel Q. Drop the subject with Allie and James, and uh, thanks for hanging out with us today, and we're very happy to be, um, it's really, you know, the days like this are hard, um, and I'm not even going to say that it's anything close, as hard for me as it is for others, but I think that it's also, it makes me very grateful that we have this this ability to to talk about and process and, and share information that's very important, and so I just wanted to say that and, and reiterate, James, it's been really lovely talking about this stuff. I know very hard to talk about this stuff, but it's I, I'm very grateful to have you to talk to this, uh, to talk about this stuff with. And um, we also encourage any listeners who want to process um, to do so with us at DTS show on Twitter and on Instagram. You can direct message us anytime. Thank, thank you for that, Ali, and I, I agree very much so. It is, it, it's lovely that we have this platform and we are so privileged to have it. And we know we know that this show is not about me and Ali. It's about you and it's about all of us having a conversation. And I think one of the most important things, if, if, if this is sort of one of those moments in your life where you're like, this is, I'm not feeling political. This is not something that I want to get into. This is a thing that's going to pass. It, it is going to pass eventually, but I do feel like this is one of those moments where the we can't ignore this um we ignoring this for too long continues to result in the unnecessary death of black men at the hands of police period full stop end of discussion and so other people are feeling this you have former presidents speaking out you have our current president telling governors to get aggressive with protesters you have celebrities even people that we sort of have teased on this show 
um like and we know we love ariana grande but ariana grande machine gun kelly halsey timothy chalamet uh ellen page john cusack all of these individuals were protesting this weekend and billy eilish in particular for as much as we've given her a hard time about being sort of a a stoic 18 year old right who's like uh i have all of the feelings because i'm 18 and my life's so hard like she she put together and posted a really pretty interesting and, and sort of emotional post on her Instagram this weekend. Yes, I, I wanted to read some of this. And she so she said, and this is all of it is in all caps, because that's how Billy Eilish rolls. She said, I've been trying to take this week to figure out a way to address this delicately. I have an enormous platform and I really try hard to be respectful and take time to think through what I say and how I say it. But holy effing S, I'm just going to start talking. If I hear one more white person say all lives matter one more effing time, I'm going to lose my effing mind. Will you sh- <laughs> <laughs> Will you shut the F up? No one is saying your life doesn't matter. No one is saying your life is not hard. No one is saying literally anything at all about you. Ding, ding, all, ding. All you MFs do is find a way to make everything about yourself. This is not about you. Stop making everything about you. You are not in need. You are not in danger. And I mean, it, this goes on for a very long time, but I, 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 I think it's important that we share that because I think a lot of people... Uh, a lot of white people respond with, well, yeah, all lives matter. And it's like, yes, but it's not a bit like, it, I mean, you, you're I'm preaching to the choir. I'm talking to you, James. But I mean, it's just the. It, it's, uh, it's a hard conversation while you sort of formulate your thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to explain to people why someone saying all lives matter is in itself feeding the systemic racism that continues to go on. It takes away from the issue that is actually happening here. If all lives matter, no one said that we didn't. But first of all, this is not about you. And second of all, young white men do not get killed by police like young black men do. Period. Period. End of discussion. That is the issue here. That is why we're protesting. That is why we're rioting. And it is not about all lives mattering. It is about black lives mattering. Yes. And we say black lives matter because we are being shown every single day that black men's lives and black people's lives are worth less than another person's. And that's why black lives matter is the hashtag. That's why we say black lives matter. And like as a white person, I can go jogging and not get killed. I can get pulled over and not be worried about, about, about somebody stepping on my neck. That's why it's, it's about so much more than all lives matter. And um, so I just mm-hmm. think it's important to, to, to talk about um, the point that Billie Eilish is making because I, I think it's a good one. And um, anyway, so when we come back, we're going to talk to Errol Southers, Dr. Errol Southers of USC. Um, a friend of the show. We've had him on several times to talk about spy stuff because he's one of the most interesting people in the world. But he's also a, a black man in law enforcement who's been in law enforcement for many years. So a uh, lot to talk about there. We're going to have Errol on uh, when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Okay, drop the subject. Ali and James Simmons um, hanging out with you today and processing some of the events that have taken place over the last few days. And we thought we would... Um, I definitely, Dr. L, Errol Southers is one of the names that popped into my mind of a person that I really wanted to bring on the air to to sort of go over some of the um, 
I mean, the many, many layers and angles to this. Dr. Uh, Dr. L. Errol Southers is the professor of the practice in national and homeland security at USC, director of Safe Communities Institute, director of homegrown violent extremism studies. I mean, your list goes on and on. Doctor, welcome back. Always a pleasure to be on, Ellie. Thank you for having me today. Of course. I thought we would start with something that we were chatting about off the air that you brought to our attention. An email that you sent out to the the staff at USC. And I, th- I thought we would kind of start there because obviously it was very powerful and, and obviously worth sharing with our listeners. Well, thank you very much. I, I've i been there 17 years as a professor and I Uh, Although a lot of people know me, I shy away from those all staff emails because I just do. And this time uh, when George Floyd was murdered, I just felt the need to say something. So I talked about, most importantly, you know, being African-American and being an African-American who spent his career in law enforcement. I thought it was important to make people understand how the law enforcement community, obviously the 99 percent of them are not like the officer who killed George Floyd. And at the same time, being an African-American, I've been subject to law enforcement people like Chauvin who killed George Floyd, which is exactly why I'm in law enforcement. My dad said to me once, you know, you can't change the castle from outside the moat. And I said, hmm, very telling. So three law enforcement agencies later, including the FBI, I always felt like I could be part of that change to root out people like him. But in the story, in the email I, I shared with everybody at USC, I said, you know, I'm used to getting calls at all times of the night because that's what I've done most of my career. But of late, when I get a call in the early morning hours, I really dread the fact that it might be my brother in Atlanta or my son or my new grandson, who's three weeks old today, um, having become the next hashtag because of some ridiculous act of violence. And... That's very troubling. I can't can't tell you what that feels like. Anyway, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who has an institute at USC, and we've been friends for almost 40 years. Arnold read the email and wrote an op-ed in The Atlantic, which appeared yesterday, entitled The America I Love Needs to Do Better, and featured my story about what I had mentioned. And he said, I can't even imagine getting a phone call and having that be one of the first thoughts that comes to mind when you answer the phone. And so as a result, we're going to have some meetings today to start mobilizing and start doing some things because, you know, with all due respect to the protests and what's happening, violence hurts the wrong people. And so we've got to find a way to deal with this. Can you talk a little bit, Dr. Southers? Uh, First of all, I just want to say it's an an honor and a pleasure to meet you. And thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, Thank you. uh, You know, I I have, so I'll just speak very personally because I, I think that that's what works the best. So one of my very best friends is, is married to a, a longtime police officer and detective and former deputy chief um, of a city's police department that will remain unnamed. Okay. And um, my friend and I have a difficult time being able to have the conversation about how you're, you're right. I firmly believe having police officers also in my family and, and, and knowing this individual very well, that, that the majority of police officers are not what we see in Derek Chauvin, but that there is a fundamental issue or we wouldn't be rioting in the streets. There wouldn't be protests. And frankly, there wouldn't be black men still dying because they're black at the hands of police. And so how does that conversation within law enforcement 
happen from an outsider's perspective because you, it takes a measure of introspection to say, I'm a part of a system. I might be a good person, but I'm a part of a system that is broken and a system that is resulting in people dying based on race. Let's just be frank. And so how does that sort of you, you have this dichotomy that, that few people have that is so interesting. How does that conversation have inside of, happen inside of law enforcement? That's a great question. And actually, you framed it perfectly. The fact that you've identified it as a system that's broken is exactly what it is. The challenge with that is there's a culture that's there. And it doesn't matter what color or gender you are in law enforcement. There is a culture. And that culture has traditionally been one of a warrior mentality Mm. as opposed to a protector mentality. Mm. So we always think about protect and serve. (laughs) Recently, it's been, you know, like going to battle. And the more that we have people dressed down in riot gear, the same kind of gear we see in military units and that whole militarization of the police, which I have a really interesting conversation about that because I happen to embrace that gear, having been on SWAT and having had SWAT under my command. I understand the need for that gear, but I understand the message it sends. It's hard to break that mold of being a protector and not a warrior, and that's part of it. The other thing that goes with your with your analysis and having that conversation is that you're dealing with a culture and an organizational structure that doesn't believe it can be managed or policed by anybody from the outside. Mm. So I used to be on a civilian oversight board for, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with you, an agency in LA County that remained unnamed. Uh-huh. I had 15 civilian people who served on that board with me. And believe it or not, we adjudicated all allegations of police misconduct in that agency. Those people on the civilian review, review board were more aggressive than internal affairs mm. with regards to how things should happen. Sure. Meaning sometimes they were more aggressive on the way of discipline. Sometimes they were more aggressive on the way of defending the officer's actions, which was mm-hmm. a really interesting balance to tell you that they were really looking at the facts. So I think one thing that we have to realize is, as you've already mentioned, the vast majority of law enforcement is good. But most importantly, to your point, there is a problem and they are still in denial about the problem. I mean, I won't go into a deep dive on Chauvin, but if you looked at his history, he was screaming to not be there. Right. And I have to tell you, having been an assistant chief, it's hard to fire cops. And that's another problem. Mm. You know, Mm. once they're in, it is really hard to get rid of them. I've been I've been part of a police officers union. I've been sued by the police officers union. It's hard, but that's not an excuse for rooting them out. And we shouldn't have to have a man die to have that happen. So you've touched on some really interesting issues about having that conversation. And it's one that we do have at my Institute with law enforcement quite regularly between peace officers and students, activists, community members, faith-based leaders, but we don't have it enough. When, when we come back, we have to take a break, and, I, and I'd love to keep you around for one more segment. Dr. Errol Southers from USC joins us. When we come back, want to talk about ways that we, like, what are effective ways of police reform and how can we safely mobilize as a country? We'll talk about that when we get back. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. 
Welcome back to Drop the Subject with Allie and James Simmons. We're talking with Dr. Errol Southers from USC and um, just a, a wonderful human being. And I've, I've really enjoyed every conversation that we've had with you on the air, uh, from the happy ones to, you know, talking about spy games and also talking about some of the uh, some of the events that have taken place over the last few days. And as somebody who has been working in law enforcement for a very long time, um, also a member of the black community, what do you think is the best way to mobilize safely? Because, you know, as James mentioned in the last segment as well, uh, I think some people feel like to protest peacefully isn't as effective. And there are so many protests that have taken place in the past. And yet this is still happening. But from a national security standpoint, which is your expertise, what is a way to create change while keeping us all safe? Well, that's a great question, Allie. And, and I'm going to say this. We're looking at a generational issue here when you talk about mobilizing and having a conversation. So I offered up a couple of days ago when I was on the news. They said, what would you do? I said, first thing I do is I start convening roundtables around the city. And most people can come together under faith-based leaders. However, someone reminded me, they said, Earl, listen, your generation might go to the mosque the church, the synagogue. He said, those people out there at the forefront of those protests are not going to a house of worship to talk about with cops. So secondarily, what I would say is, I've always felt like universities and colleges are a neutral, nonpartisan broker for a lot of things. We bring people to USC to my center. We've brought people together who haven't gotten along with each other for a decade. And once they get on a campus, they feel like green zone. So I would say use those two communities, academia and faith-based, to have those conversations with cops. Because police can go to those two as well. And I think you'd probably get the vast majority of people in the community. And I think you'd get the vast majority of police officers in both of those two areas because they're safe. You've got to have a safe space to have the conversation. I don't want to go to the police station to talk about how cops are bad. And you may not want to go to a community activist house to talk about why cops are bad. I think those two venues would give us a, a platform to have this conversation. I want to bring up something. This is, you know, since we're kind of going there, um, this is also kind of a sensitive question, um, Dr. Southers. But, you know, there, there was a, a, a pundit on a, a local TV station over the weekend talking about how he felt as if the LAPD, and I know we have listeners across the country, but I think this example will really hit home with a lot of people, that the LAPD is probably feeling a sense of frustration right now because after 10 to 15 years of of the strictest federal oversight that's ever happened after Rodney King and so so much progress that has been made, there are protests here and riots here for, as this person put it, an incident that happened thousands of miles away in a different part of the country. And to me, it felt so completely tone deaf to why people are actually protesting that yes, George Floyd's death was the spark uh, on a, you know, tub full of gasoline that was already sitting there, but that, that it seemed like this, this individual didn't understand the issue. And this individual had been a part of the LAPD previously. And so I just wonder if you can sort of almost like clarify that for us a little bit or just help us sort of understand that 
that, uh, again, that this is a larger issue than just George Floyd. And it's a larger issue that maybe LAPD has made great strides. But guess what? It's not enough yet. You have framed it particularly well. You know, it's sort of you, you as you're talking about that frustrated former officer, what came to mind was people telling me, well, Barack Obama's president now. There's no more racism in America. <laughs> yeah, right. So, right. you know, Perfect LAPD. Yeah, what's the problem? What's the problem? So LAPD had a consent decree, which you know how that works. Bill Bratton came in. They cleaned house. Connie Rice sued them. And they made tremendous strides. And, and, and by the way, I mean, the reason they're doing as well as they are is because of those issues. That doesn't mean there's no more racism in LAPD. It doesn't mean there's no more racism in Los Angeles. And so that person, as you said, is missing the point of the larger issue. This is not about the LAPD. This is about policing. And this is about race. And people need to understand if it happens somewhere, it's it's happening everywhere. And it affects Mm -hmm. everywhere. And that's something that we've got to get across. This is not an L.A. problem. This is a societal problem. And it's larger than just one city. And it's lar- and unfortunately, it's larger than one incident. And, and this incident, we every time we have an incident, we think it's going to be the spark. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and we just keep having more. Right. More. You're right. Um, I had one more question for you. I know we're running out of time. and But when it comes to that whole reputation of, well, you know, it's like that police code of like, we've got each other's backs. Is that in your opinion, fueling the problem of not being able to weed out these bad cops? And how do we change that? You've hit the nail on the head about the us versus them. Uh, I think that is part of the problem. I think that um, police officers still feel that they're under a microscope. They feel that they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. They're particularly concerned about personnel complaints. They're particularly concerned about being disciplined. Um, You know, after Ferguson calls self-initiated field activity and police departments went down in some of them because they said, hey, you know what? If I don't get a radio call, I'm not doing anything. I'm going to act like the firefighters do. They can call me when they need me because if I do something, I'm going to get in trouble. So, again, those officers that go out and do the right things, are not the problem. And I only say this, and I don't say it with a sense of humor. I say it quite seriously. If we have to teach officers about what's right and what's wrong, they shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing to have somebody's back. It's another thing to do something that's wrong. But there is an us versus them in that culture. It's always been there. And unfortunately, Ali, I think it's always going to be there. Yeah. Well, Dr. Errol Southers, it's been a pleasure speaking with you as always. Um, Dr. Errol Southers is the professor of the practice in national and homeland security. Also, former spy, okay, TSA. <laughs> I mean, your, your list goes on and um, yeah, degrees, expertise. I mean, I, we would be out of time if I explained them all. Um, doctor, <laughs> thank you. And how can people keep up with what you're doing? They can keep up with me by going to the website for my institute. It's sci.usc.edu. It's the Safe Communities Institute. And if I could have 10 seconds to say, unfortunately, we are now tracking COVID-19 related hate and extremism in America. We have a hashtag. It's hashtag virus of hate. Please take a look at it. It'll tell you what's going on in the country. It'll tell you what resources are out there. If you're the victim of hate or extremism because of COVID. And most importantly, to everybody out there, stay safe. 
Thank you so much, doctor. We will share that information. And I'm sure we'd love to talk to you more about that in the future. Um, doctor, have, have a safe and wonderful day. Okay. Thank you. You too. Okay. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Drop the subject with Allie Johnson and James Simmons. And wanted to point out, um, I mean, we're, we're discussing a lot of different angles and a, little, a lot of different layers to what's going on um, in Minneapolis and in pretty much every major, major city at this point. Many cities have declared a state of emergency, including your hometown, James. And I, I know that we also wanted to discuss some of the peaceful protests that are going on because there are a lot of peaceful protests. And I think it's a lot of the media likes to cover the very more violent protests, which can skew the narrative of what exactly is going on in the in the United States right now. But I also think it's important um, to to explain what is going on in Omaha specifically. Uh, what's what what do we know right now? I know we don't have all of the information, but what, I know that they're doing curfews. I know that they're as a city they did a state of emergency, but there was a specific incident, I believe. Yeah, so they were, you know, Omaha, just like a lot of other uh, uh, cities, major cities around the country, ha- people have been protesting, and there were protesters out in old the old market, which is uh, kind of the the hip, trendy, cool part of downtown, and it's kind of touristy. It's where the College World Series people hang out, and it's it's a really lovely part of town. And they were protesting downtown on Saturday night, and apparently there was an altercation between a business owner whose business had been vandalized earlier in the evening and protesters who were outside of his business later on in the evening, not the individuals who had caused any of the vandalism. And the bar owner, Jake Gardner, who has been identified now, he's 38. He actually um, stepped outside and during the altercation with people outside on the sidewalk, outside of his bar, he shot and killed one of the protesters who was a young black man. Um, So, there's a press conference being held today uh, by Omaha's mayor Gene Stoddart, and and the the we don't have confirmation of this right now, you know, but there's there's potential for a significant amount of unrest um, as you know some individuals are saying that they may not press charges against this bar owner Jake Gardner for <sighs> shooting and killing this young black protester. Um, and so it, this is a perfect example of why there are protests, a perfect example of why all of these things going are going on. Gabrielle Union is is one of the more notable people, at least currently, who's from Omaha. And she's been tweeting about this as well. I I will tell you that in many places around the country, it does not have to be New York or L.A. or Houston or even Minneapolis, which is twice the size of Omaha. Probably the Twin Cities are twice the size of Omaha that. There are mid-sized towns like Omaha where this Minnesota nice concept that we talked about right. earlier and this really, really deep-seated overt racism in some cases like this one and then and then institutional racism are really, really intense. And, you know, the majority of, uh, of Nebraska is white. Um, I think it was somewhere around 85% of voters in 2016 voted for Donald Trump in the state of Nebraska. Whoa, um, really? It's, it, is a, it is a very red state. It is very Christian. It is very white. It is very conservative. It also was one of Harriet Tubman's 
extended underground railroad sites. Hmm. And so Kansas, which is immediately below Nebraska, was below the Mason-Dixon line and Nebraska was above it. So in the uh, during the underground railroad, a lot of blacks would just get across the border from Kansas into Nebraska. So there's actually a significant black population in the state of Nebraska. In a place like Omaha, they almost almost all tend to be uh, focused in one particular neighborhood. And that particular neighborhood is, of course, poorer. And it's where I grew up. And there's so much unrest and there's so much police brutality. And that's been going on since I was a child. And I remember it very much. And I I heard about this Saturday night. My mom called me and she's like a guy who's a known racist, homophobic white bar owner in downtown Omaha just shot a young black protester. The city's about to burn down. And my mom was really worried about this. And, you know, I, I was like, well, mom, let's, you know me, let's get the facts and whatever. And now it's turning out to be true. And I'm like, here we go again. This is, and people wonder why we're angry. Well, and it's just so like it, it it's, it's bad enough that police are killing black men and women and getting away with it. And then there's also Ahmaud Arbery and this man and people who are mm-hmm. getting literally killed by white civilians and getting away with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I, so really there are no laws. There's just no, we're just going to completely, this is just blatant. And, and, and that there, man, there, how is that man supposed to like, that, that's not a stand your ground. That's not, they, it seems like from what you're telling me that they were on a public street. Yeah. And I, I don't, you know, Nebraska has some different concealed carry laws than other really more conservative states. So this gentleman has been brought up on charges of not identifying he had a concealed carry before he has a, he has an arrest history. This is the, the white bar owner who shot the young black man has an arrest history, by the way. And this is, I mean, this Omaha, just knowing this, it's hard. I'm such a researcher and I'm such a facts-based person, right? Where's the data behind this? But I will tell you from an emotional standpoint, from living there, from going back there several times a year, my entire life, from knowing that community, like the back of my hand, this is a place that is ripe to explode if they do not press charges uh, in as murder one against this man, Jake Gardner. Right. Premeditation. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, when we come back, we're, we're going to talk about the NFL as well, because Colin Kaepernick, um, you know, he, he, his career basically ended because of his activism. And now mm-hmm. a lot of people are calling on NFL teams. Someone please sign this guy. Now is the time. And some words from an ex NFL executive, basically admitting some really interesting things about why Colin Kaepernick's career ended. Uh, I think it's all what we thought it was. So we'll get, uh, we'll get into that when we get back. This is drop the subject. Drop the subject. The new channel Q. Drop the subject on the new channel Q. James Q. Simmons guest co-hosting with your Ali Johnson. And um, a lot of people have been, you know, saying during in the middle of these protests that are going on right now, well, why can't they peacefully protest? I would listen to protesters if they would just do it peacefully. Uh, and these are unfortunately, it seems a lot of the same individuals who took issue with Colin Kaepernick, who huh, uh, was peacefully protesting starting in 2016 when he took a knee. And I will I know I said this last week, but I will reiterate this again. Uh, Colin Kaepernick has a member of his family who is a veteran. And he asked that veteran of our foreign wars what he should do to protest police brutality against black men without disrespecting the country or disrespecting his family member who is a veteran. 
I want that to be very clear. Colin Kaepernick has never been protesting the flag, the national anthem, the country. He has been always protesting to bring awareness to police brutality against black men, and he did it peacefully by taking a knee. People had issue with that. And now you don't listen. And here we are. People are rioting Mm -hmm. in the streets. I'm not saying the riots are great. I'm not saying vandalism and destruction of property is great. But this is where people get when you push them. And Colin Kaepernick. And when they're not being listened to. And when they're not being listened to. And Colin Kaepernick, unfortunately, sacrificed his career and millions and millions of dollars for a cause he believed in. Absolutely. And um, NFL's vice president of communications, former vice president of communications, Joe Lockhart, has made some comments um, in the last 24 hours about some some things that we already knew when it came to why Colin Kaepernick's career ended the way that it did. Uh, He said Colin Kaepernick was not bounced by the NFL team owners because of his skill. He was not bounced because of salary demands, and he was not bounced because he wanted a starting job. No, he was rejected by NFL team owners because he became a financial liability, kneeling for social justice and igniting a telling firestorm with President Donald Trump. And he said in his own words, No teams wanted to sign the player, even one as talented as Kaepernick, whom they saw as a controversial and therefore bad for business. So now... There, there are a lot of people saying, and it, like now, like, all right, NFL teams, it's your move. Sign this guy because his his voice needs to re-enter the fold. And he was, I mean, I I cannot even imagine the bravery that it takes to go on one knee on national television with uh with your career on the line. And to, to take that to take that knee, there's so much probably I mean, there's just a combination of so many different emotions that are going through your head w- when you make that movement and then to have it so greatly affect and then to have people so offended by it when he went through the effort that you say, James, to talk to that veteran and and find a way and, and find a thoughtful way to to get this message across. I mean, He's just, I, I think it, it goes to show when somebody speaks up, I, I know I'm rambling, but I yeah. wanted to say, but there, there's what the last pride, there was somebody who we were doing like a video thing for channel Q and there mm-hmm. were these questions that we were all being asked. And one of them was how can people be a better ally to LGBT? And I, I'm only saying this because I think it directly relates. I, cause I, the first thing I thought was, well, I think people need to speak up when it's not convenient. Right. And when it's when it's hard. Right. I think it's easy to wave a flag and go to a pride parade and be like, Um, but it's and correct me if I'm wrong, James, but I feel like to be a better ally, it's about speaking up in times where it's very difficult and when there where there is stuff on the line, big stuff. Yep. And and Kaepernick is the perfect example of that. You know, I think he knew before he took a knee, he probably didn't fully grasp where this would go, but I think he knew before he took a knee that this would be, this would be impactful on his career. And, and, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, he thought he had more people behind the scenes in the NFL behind him. 
And it turns out he didn't. And even though, you know, Lockhart, who wrote this this piece, the the former VP of communications for the NFL, said they were, you know, they thought they they were doing the righteous thing because they were kind of pushing some teams to re-sign him, but they they sort of stopped there. And he's saying, I was wrong. I think the teams were wrong for not signing him. Watching what's going on in Minnesota, I understand how badly wrong we were, which I think is really mm-hmm. telling. You know, yeah. I still doubt. I, I think it would be, it'll be a cold day in hell, Allie, when an NFL team will still sign him. At the end of the day, they're a business and these owners don't get it. How can they? They're rich white billionaires. Uh, they, they're just not going to get it and no one's going to sign this guy. Yeah, it's unfortunate. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the uh, we got to talk about it. Some of the things that Donald Trump has been saying on Twitter, some of the things that he's been saying about the protests, uh, the bunker that he is hiding in all of that. When we get back, drop the subject, the new channel Q. Well, there is somebody on Twitter by the name of Randy Mayhem Singer, and she apparently is the screenwriter of Mrs. Doubtfire. And I'm quoting her because she said, breaking man who thinks a mask makes him look weak is now hiding in a bunker. Uh, Okay, that is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) That is fantastic. If you don't understand the reference, Donald Trump, a couple of, this was almost two weeks ago, I think, but when he was doing these tour of of companies where they actually make masks, wasn't wearing them because he said he didn't want to portray the message that he was weak uh, and that wearing a mask uh, to prevent uh, contracting COVID-19 would make him look weak. And now in uh, at a time when a country needs our leader, I use leader very loosely, And more than ever, he hides in a bunker, not once, but twice, Sally. Yes, yes. He keeps seeming to go back there because he's just that much of a drama queen. And, and, you know, not to trivialize this situation in any way, shape or form, but it made me think of when that kind of quintessential evil 80s villain is like leading his awful team on a ship and then the ship starts going down and he gets rescued by a helicopter at the last minute like he's that type of guy he's the guy that he is building the ship (laughs) and then he will abandon it as soon as it starts to sink that's just the kind Uh of person he is uh huh. I'll be the first guy to like turn on on those who are loyal to him, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, we've seen we've seen evidence evidence of that already. But yeah, he'll be like, oh, when, once that finally he's he knows that all the shenanigans are over and he's it's busted or whatever. Be like, oh, it wasn't me. It was all those guys. It was all those guys. Right. Exactly. That like he would throw all of the people who have been slate like that that have been you know doing his bidding for this many years to then throw them under the bus at the at the first opportunity you know he's just that type of person and i dan rather had a great tweet as well he said i can imagine no other president in my lifetime failing to address the nation in a primetime speech during a crisis such as this on the other hand i cannot imagine another president whose words would be less welcome by so many of his fellow citizens And this is what, let's be very clear. I know that we are, you know, making this commentary about him being in a bunker for an hour on Friday and then longer last night, I think. But the, the, the point here is a lack of leadership. Yeah. And you, you are not, you have been a poor leader, uh, uh, and I'm not saying that, that Donald Trump's administration didn't do some things right or well in the COVID-19 response, but overall it has been a poor response. You've been a poor leader with this. You have made horrible, awful recommendations. 
And then now in the middle of a crisis that the entire country is feeling and going through right now, your initial response is to is blame to the protesters. Yes. Well, blame protesters, right? Uh, 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 talk, bring up old racist stuff from the 60s about when the looting starts, the shooting starts. So you're quoting old racist uh, policing strategies. Calling them thugs. And calling them thugs, right? Which we know there's so many layers to that in terms of the racial, not even racial undertones, just racial overtness of calling protesters thugs, which you did not call white protesters carrying guns who may or may not been causing violence. I will give you that. But white protesters, when they didn't want to stay inside because of COVID, they weren't thugs. And so all of these things happen. And then you go into a bunker. So just see, pull it all together. And I'm not saying that any, you know, Barack Obama would have done better or would have not had to go to a bunker you have to keep the president safe i understand that but the point of, of this is that optics matter your words matter your actions matter most you're not taking any actions to calm the country right now your words are inciting more racism and violence and then the optics of this in the middle of all of this that you are just as much responsible for as anyone else because it's under your watch your racist watch you now go hide in a bunker yeah, no, I think you put it perfectly. That's and to say and to use it as a term of uh, as the term of optics. It's the way that you are being that you're portraying yourself to your own nation. You're portraying yourself as someone who's inciting violence, gaslighting violence, and then hiding from the violence that you created. You know, and he thrives on this crap. I mean, this is his 2020 campaign is to create this further divide and make it wider and wider he doesn't want to solve anything he doesn't want any peace he can't he can't even exist in peace he has to throw another wrench into the system at every opportunity that he can which he's i mean he's been saying all damn day i mean he's saying november 3rd he tweeted that earlier um so he's making this about politics even now and then he says, sleepy yep. Joe Biden's people are so radical left that they're working to get the anarchists out of jail and probably more. Joe doesn't know anything about it. He is clueless, but they will be the real power, not Joe. They will be calling the shots. Big tax increases for all plus. <laughs> it's just like I cannot. Is, is he is he paying attention to what's going on? Like it's almost it's it's almost comical how incredible he, he's being so incredibly tone deaf to what's going on, but then also quick to do things like the United States of America will be designating Antifa as a terrorist oh, organization. Yeah. It's a like Antifa you don't even have time to to go through all of the crap that he's pulled in the last forty eight hours. Yeah, I mean it's it's unbelievable. So you you. Do that, you know, you have alt-right organizations, you have racist organizations that are that are supported by the KKK and by neo-Nazis killing people at peaceful protests in Charlottesville and many, many, many of the other actions that have happened during his presidency. And he has been, well, there's, there's always two sides to the story. Or what did he say? There's good people on both sides. That was his response to white-driven terrorism. And now, and I'm not saying Antifa is great. First of all, Antifa is an unorganized organization, so I'm not sure how you can call one organization that doesn't have, by its very nature, is not organized. You can call them a terrorist organization, but that's a whole different conversation. Mm -hmm. But he, I mean, he is quick within two to three days to calling and you officially designating Antifa as a terrorist organization, yet he will not do it when it is white people inciting violence against people of color. And what would he say about the person who killed that black man in Omaha? Oh, 
just justified. He's protecting his restaurant. He's protesting his, his bar. Property. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean, you can you can you can write this stuff verbatim. I'm sure without him even having to say it. Um, all right, we're gonna take a moment. We're gonna compose ourselves. When we come back, we're actually gonna talk about. We're gonna ask James about um, whether protesting might cause a rise in COVID cases. How can you know if you do decide to get out there and protest? What is the safest way to do so? To bring your mask and to maintain your distance while still um, showing up right now, which is important. So we'll get to that when we get back. You're listening to Drop the Subject. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. Drop the subject on the new channel, Q. James Q. Simmons, guest co-hosting with your Allie Johnson. And uh, we're rolling right along here in the show. We we really want to thank you all uh, for your interaction with us and for communicating with us and having this conversation at DTS Show on Instagram and on Twitter. We, we know that this show today is quite the departure from how we usually are, uh, but so are the times that we're living in and so are the circumstances that our country is in right now. And we felt it was really important to reflect exactly what's going on in the country and and bring you our thoughts about that and our opinions and our experts um, and as much news as we can. Um, and so we, we thank you for sticking with us and listening and being willing to sort of have the different types of conversations that need to happen today. Um, because we certainly have a lot of fun and games here and drop the subject, but sometimes it's okay to put those on pause. And sometimes it's okay to have these kind of tough conversations. Absolutely. Very well said. And I think that it's important to talk about what we're about to discuss, which is, you know, if you decide to get out there and, and protest, which, um, you know, many of you who might be listening right now already have. Um, and, you know, your your health is a concern because, of course, we are still in the midst of, of COVID-19. And, and as people start to get back out there, there's this fear already about a rise in cases or a second wave of coronavirus. And so how can people get out there and and make their presence physically and also try to keep their distance or also try to try as much as possible to keep themselves safe from contracting COVID-19 in this situation. You know, we talked earlier uh, in the show, Ali, about individuals can, can that numbers matter, that protesting matters, that people being out and visible for uh, the peaceful protesting movement matters. Um, but I will say that that should be amended to include an asterisk to include uh, to not include individuals who have significant underlying health conditions um, yeah. because your your risk is higher. Also, if you are known to be covid positive and you haven't gotten through your 14 day quarantine, particularly if you're still symptomatic. No, you don't get to go outside and protest. You do get to. Uh, have conversations on social media you do get to donate to organizations you do get to have those one-to-one conversations with people in your life that you love but you don't get to go protest um, because that is irresponsible and the potential that you can spread COVID-19 to so many other people so quickly because here's the situation if you've never been a part of a protest before they're often very very crowded at least for short bursts of time and you're usually chanting and so people are spitting oh, right. and shouting yes. all, all over each other. And yes, I, I've actually been really pr- pretty impressed how many people have been wearing masks. Um, and some of my friends who protest more frequently will tell you that they often wear masks anyway because of of smoke from tear gas and, and all those other types of things. But people are wearing masks a lot more than I thought they would be. But that still is not, we know, 100% protective. So... 
I, I think it's really difficult. If you are, are want to protest, but you're fearing COVID-19, I think you can go. I think you can still be a person who is there. I think you can still try to maintain some social distance. Don't go into the large crowd. Stay to the back. Stay to the side. Um, you know, you can still hold your sign. You can still chant or whatever, but just do it with you and the people who you've quarantined with, And but stay away from those large crowds. And when those large crowds move towards you, move out of the way of them. Hmm. I mean, there's a whole other aspect to this as far as um, most of the people who are out there protesting um, are people of color, right? And uh-huh. a lot of people of color, more so than white populations or high socioeconomic backgrounds, are contracting this virus more so people of color are more likely to contract COVID-19 just because of the way this country is set up. So then you think about all of those people going out into big crowds to fight for their freedom and then potentially at a higher risk now for contracting COVID-19. It's just so... And Gosh, then bringing there's so many it, bringing layers it, about yeah yeah well then bringing it home so if you're if you're a young black person let's say and you're out protesting and then you come home and you live with with uh, individuals in your family who are older than you are who may have higher incidence of hypertension diabetes coronary artery disease right. all of the underlying conditions that we know make COVID nineteen worse there are places in the country right now where seventy five to eighty percent of the deaths related to COVID nineteen are black individuals not just people right. of color they're black. And so you're right. This is a big issue. And I imagine here in the next probably seven to 10 days, we're going to start seeing people's numbers are going to start trickling back up, maybe even more than a trickle in terms of confirmed cases of COVID-19 and people being sick and, and having to enter the healthcare system for treatment. God. And then you have to shut down everything again. And then some people don't want to or yep. quarantine people again. And then people don't want to be quarantined because they want to be out in the streets. And it all just keeps circulating. And also, I mean, I, I understand the reason why some of these protests are getting violent. And at the same time, I also understand small business owners that are already going through such a hard time right now, dealing with their businesses being broken into and things being taken. So it's just a terrible situation on all sides. And, um, you know, we obviously don't have the answer, but we're just going to continue to talk about it and, and process it together. And we're glad that you're here with us here on Drop the Subject. And you can interact uh, interact with us directly at DTS Show on Twitter and on Instagram. Do a little, um, something a little nice, something a little lighter, a little news it or lose it when we come back. Drop the subject. The new Channel Q. Drop the subject on the new Channel Q. All right. It's been a show. It's been a weekend. Yeah. It's been a day. It's been, uh, it's it's been, been a day. It's been an hour. It's been, a, it's been an hour, <laughs> uh, but we're sending lots of love to you, our listeners, um, and we will continue to have these conversations um, throughout the week, uh, but we're also going to take an attempt to just take a, a, a quick break and keep things a little bit lighter. And so in the grand tradition of Drop the Subject, it is time for News It or Lose It. I'm ready. Allie, you got your dinger, dinger, binger, clinger. I've got, I've got something. Yeah, here we go. Yep. There's, there's some random noise things going on there. That's excellent. Fabulous. Story number one. Because today is June 1st, by the way, and uh, which marks the beginning of Pride Month, which we will talk about, we promise. Uh, but this might be a funny way to kick it off. The hilarious backstory behind Diana Ross's Pride anthem, I'm Coming Out. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. why not? Super. I don't know any of this information. Yep, super juicy and fun. Headline number two. Man Home Alone films haunted dolls moving on their own inside of glass cabinet. Whoa. Gotta news ghost stories. Totally. And finally, monkey attacks lab worker, steals COVID-19 blood test samples. No, no. <laughs> All right. That is... I'm going to lose that simply uh-huh. because I think we have a lot of the information that we, but, but that is like the movie outbreak R- where right. that like create the friends monkey was like, nah, shenanigans. And then everything <laughs> went wrong. <laughs> so the fact that that's happening in real life is uh, hilarious and terrifying equally. And terrifying. There's actually a video later on of one of the monkeys caught, uh, cracking one of the bottles open and trying to oh, eat the samples. No. Yeah. So, I mean, no. it is straight up out of the movie. It is out of oh. the movie. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Moving right along to something else sort of unbelievable. Now, okay, I am a person, we've talked about this, I feel apparitions and like blah, 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 whatever, but I also am a science dude. So sometimes I'm like, there's totally a scientific explanation for a lot of these things, but this one is pretty crazy. So uh, the story, the way they write the story is hysterical. A man ran to his bedroom in terror after claiming he filmed his wife's porcelain dolls moving on their own inside of a glass cabinet for the second time. So this guy's wife has a bunch of porcelain dolls and a tall, it looks like um, an old grandfather clock kind of, but they put a glass case on the front of it. So it's nice yeah, and tall yeah. and narrow. She's old got people a bu- do that sometimes. They do. They do. And there are multiple, I don't know, weird like glass shark dolphin things in this cabinet. Sure. Are, Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, then underneath that, there are three porcelain dolls and they're pretty Annabelle-ish. They're pretty creepy. Um, just in general. And then this guy films it and you see this doll just move towards the front of the glass without like just randomly on her own without him doing anything. And it moves in that weird, creepy doll, like not human motion. Yeah, where it it's is like, la, la, la. <laughs> That's exactly what it's doing. Like I watched the video once before deciding to news it. And I was like, I'm not going to watch that again. <laughs> That's plenty. Well, I think we should know when you buy a porcelain doll, just assume it's going to be haunted. I mean, that's if I enter a home and I see three porcelain dolls inside of a glass casing like that, I assume Annabelle. That's where my mind goes. And I have yet to see a porcelain doll prove me wrong. Yep. There is also in this room, by the way, uh, the, so the later on, the story goes on that it may not actually be the dolls that are haunted, or maybe the dolls are haunted, but this room in general is haunted. Um, so this guy also shows around the same time that the dolls were moving, like same day, same hour, just a few minutes later, there's a pile of clothes on the couch that should not fall. Like it, they look pretty, pretty solid, like on the couch where they are. And the, the pile of clothes just like, it's almost like someone just pushes them off. Like they move all the way over to the edge of the couch and fall off. Yeah, yeah they do that. They're like the monkeys. Uh-huh. Yes, these ghosts. The dolls. They just want to they just want to be like, Bleh! yeah, and the the ghost stories that I've heard from I've never experienced one particularly, but uh, several of my friends and family have had theirs, and it's always a case of like something that was in a box, completely tucked away, is now out and strewn about the floor where there was no way that it could have gotten out otherwise. Uh-huh. Yep. 
damn Gosh. ghost ghost oh, monkeys. Oh, you ghosty ghost. Oh, you <laughs> ghost monkeys. Ghosts um, and monkeys. So we all love I'm coming out a little Diana Ross anthem. God bless her soul. She's still with us and she's still a diva. She's like the diva, right? Turns out when Diana recorded this I'm coming out, she didn't know what it was actually about. She well, Oh, really? <laughs> so her co-writer said she didn't understand that this was a gay thing. That there was a person saying, I'm coming out of the closet. She didn't get that as a concept. Nevertheless, Diana loved the lyrics, recorded the song, and went on to watch it become obvious, obviously like an, an iconic song, right? A huge hit at the time. Well, the, a DJ at the time, New York DJ Frankie Crocker, joked that it was a coming out anthem for Diana Ross. Oh, no. She, she apparently like, confronted uh-huh. him. And said, you've ruined my career. And apparently after like her management and his people, this all happened in like a club. He, she like went to the club, confronted him. He was like, no, we think of you. I said, Diana, this song is going to be your coming out song. We think of you as our black queen. Not that you're gay, but that you are the our queen or whatever. And so once he explained this to her and he was like, hail to the chief, et cetera, et cetera. She later then, even just later on that night, embraced that she was going to become a, a gay icon. And it ended up turning out to be true. Oh, what a hap- that's nice. That's, that's yeah. a nice story. Thank yeah. you for sharing that, James. And we will give you some happy endings when we get back. This is Drop the Subject. Drop the Subject. The new Channel Q. All right. Well... It has been uh, quite a different show today, as uh, as both James and I have stated earlier. Of course, these are important conversations to have. These are tough conversations to have. We want to keep you informed on what is going on in the world right now, because there is, I mean, there's so much to this. There are so many different angles to cover. Um, of course, there's obviously racism, um, sport. I mean, this affects big businesses, sports, uh, celebrity. I mean, there's so many different angles to take and to and and angles to think about with this situation and and I, I, I really hope and I sincerely hope that some of these conversations have helped. We will continue to have them uh, throughout the week and um, James, I thank you again for your time and um, and uh, to Dr. Er- Errol Suthers for his time. Tomorrow we will be talking to uh, another doctor by the name of Robin D'Angelo. And we've spoken to her before. She is um, an expert when it comes to, uh, she, she writes a lot of publications about white people, about white fragility, uh, white shame, white guilt, and why it's really tough for white people to talk about racism. And I think this is one of the very, very critical conversations we need to have right now in response to the protests and, and how we can speak to each other about how to really get active and create change versus just bowing our heads and feeling uncomfortable and feeling sad and feeling sympathy. So um, I look forward to that conversation. Hope you do as well. And wanted to share as well some ways that people can um, not only get involved in terms of protesting, but also just get a little more educated on anti-racism. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's, we talk about that. Like, what what can I do? What can I do? You have to get involved. You have to do more than just say that this is bad. You got to act. And so, and so we want to just help you out with some ways to act. There are 
there are books, there are podcasts, there's videos to watch, there's movies to watch, things like that. You know, a podcast that I think is really insightful for a lot of people and also can be done very uh, kind of short. It's not one of these super long podcasts. It's called 1619. It's done by the New York Times, uh, and it is a fantastic pod- podcast. And uh, what I think this podcast in particular goes through and does is examines how we got to where we are over the last 400 years, but I promise you they don't take 400 years to do it. They sort of make an association between hmm. like, why why are, why are is there so much deep-seated racism in the country right now? And this is where it started. And 1619 is the, is the year that it's thought, it's not proven, but it's thought that the first slave ship hit American soil in Virginia. Um, that there were other ships in the Caribbean and, and other parts, but in here on the like land, actual landlocked United States and Virginia was 1619. So that one's fantastic. Mm-hmm. There are, there are books and, and films and things that we can tweet out some of this information so that there are ways that people can actually, you know, get active. But I say protest, donate to local, preferably local organizations that are doing um, good work and use your voice. Yeah. Do you have a I I think that is our happy ending. Um, You know, I I hope that these conversations and and this situation in general will help create real change and real progress. And, um, you know, I know I just wanted to say something that you had said off the air, James, about um, about George Floyd. And, you know, if there's anything positive that we can take away from this, um, we can hope that his life didn't just mean nothing. Uh, yeah. And that this, this, I'm glad that people are speaking up. I'm glad, you know, Greg Popovich, who is uh, the longest tenured coach in any uh, major league sports right now in the United States. He's five NBA titles with the San Antonio Spurs. He spoke out today, very anti Donald Trump and says, we need a leader right now. And how dr- dramatic it would be if Donald Trump actually just uttered the three words, black lives matter. Um, but that he doesn't think he ever will. But, you know, Beyonce to political leaders to all of these other individuals speaking out, using their voices. That's my happy ending that George Mm. Floyd did not die in vain. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for listening. And you can continue to reach out to us anytime at DTS show or us individually um, as well, if you feel comfortable doing that. And we will see you tomorrow for more Drop the Subject. Everyone stay happy and safe. On the next, on the next, drop the subject. On the next show are continued conversations on social injustice and ways to safely and effectively create change. We'll speak with multicultural education expert, Dr. Robin D'Angelo, about why white people feel so uncomfortable talking about race, how to educate yourself on the subject, and how to be a better ally to the black community. Plus, the latest on the protests, the memorial service for George Floyd, and the White House's failure to create a single coherent thought. Drop the subject. 12 to 2 Pacific, 3 to 5 Eastern. On the new channel Q.